0: This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 15th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Zoning is a way to control who does what, where. What about when zoning dictates how many or how few people can live in the same home? Maurice Thompson is a constitutional attorney in Ohio with the 1851 Center for Constitutional Law. We spoke about a case where a state constitution took down a baseless restriction on the use of private property.
1: This case began when uh, a landlord from Bowling Green, Ohio, called us. The landlord had been threatened by the city with enforcement of this 40-year-old ordinance um, because he had four college students living in a four-bedroom house that he had rented to them. And the city said, look, you have 10 days to throw these people out because you're in violation of our ordinance that holds that only three people, if they're unrelated, can live in the same house, no matter how big that house is. And if you don't do that, we will prosecute you for a first-degree misdemeanor, which is 180 days in jail, and we will fine you $500 a day, uh, which is, uh, over the course of an annual lease, more than most houses in this town happen to be worth. Why does
0: that ordinance exist?
1: That ordinance is not at all unusual. You might be surprised uh, to learn that there are thousands of such ordinances throughout the United States, They are prominent in smaller towns. They're prominent in college towns. And these ordinances began to exist in the 1970s when local governments began more and more to attempt to use zoning for social engineering purposes rather than for strict land use purposes. As originally envisioned in the 1920s, zoning was more about, hey, let's not have a factory Right next to a residential home, if at all possible, um, in other words, let's prevent nuisances where possible um, preemptively before they take place, which might might seem reasonable um, but by the 1970s, zoning had been used as a full-blown attempt to to manage the interrelationship of who's living in a particular house in a particular kind of neighborhood, and in fact, the Supreme Court in a nineteen seventy four case Uh, Village of Beltaire out of New York rubber-stamped these sorts of ordinances as constitutional under the federal constitution. Thereafter, these ordinances took off across the country uh, and flourished
0: to this day. And presumably, these are meant to prevent, uh, I'm guessing, young people from living in a group home near
1: you. Exactly. The city um, interestingly, the city etched in stone in its law, the reasons for the law, and it, um, proclaimed the reason for the law is to control population density, um, without saying more, uh, in discovery, the city explained that 18 to 22 year olds cause blight and that the target of the law is to prevent too many 18, 22 year olds to, from living together because they tend to be unruly in large numbers, um, to which, our responses are, uh, you know, you really shouldn't be targeting a specific group of people with general zoning regulations. um, And you should be directly regulating problems if they take place, when they take place, such as noise or um, other sorts of unruly behavior that harms others' right to enjoy their own property. And of course, the problem with the blunt instrument of zoning is that um, a regulation like that also applies to four elderly widows who may live together, four Mormon missionaries, four travel nurses. Uh, In our case, the, the tenant clients were four military reservists who could have been called up at any time. So they wanted to save rent um, particularly in case
0: one of them had to leave the house for a while. So uh, what was the resolution of the case? And and lo- before we get there, what does the Ohio Constitution say about that, if anything?
1: We won the case under the Ohio Constitution. So you're aiming in the right direction. So the, the beauty of this case is it's not really just about one locality. It's a, a lesson in private property rights, in state constitutions, and in affordable housing all at once, um, after the Supreme Court of the United States went the wrong way in the case that I described, Village of Beltaire, um a number of states under their state constitutions used their own equal protection clauses to hold that in fact you can't have these kinds of ordinances. And surprisingly, uh, Caleb, a number of these states were what we would consider sort of left wing states: uh, New York, New Jersey. California, Rhode Island. Um, and, and that was largely catalyzed by an understanding that a lot of these laws were intended to be anti-immigrant or anti-homosexual uh, laws, um, because those were the folks that perhaps lived together in, lar- in larger groups. Um, and, and a lot of these laws were veiled uh, attacks on certain minority groups of one kind. Or another, Ohio is the first sort of pro property rights state per se to now go in this direction. Um, and it makes sense because the next step in private property rights at the state level under state constitutions is to attack the regulation, the overregulation of property. After the Supreme Court went the wrong way in Kilo versus New London, a number of states said, hey, you can't take property in that same way so broadly through eminent domain at the state level under state constitutions because private property rights are fundamental rights. That's what Ohio said the year after Kelo. So it only makes sense that the regulation of property also triggers fundamental rights. So when you look at treating similarly situated homeowners or even tenants differently, you've got to apply stricter scrutiny. And if those laws are arbitrary like this, you've got to strike them
0: down so uh, you mentioned that there are these kinds of ordinances all over the place uh do we know how many states go beyond uh the Supreme Court's interpretation to go ahead and protect uh the rights of people who aren't related to live together um about ten states
1: have held under their own equal protection clauses and their state constitutions that these sort of uh zoning regulations. Are unconstitutional, and they repeatedly focus on the fact that look, if there are secondary effects of people living together, let's regulate those directly, and um, and and also um, focus on sort of the bad policy behind this. This uh, these sorts of laws drive up costs for the tenants because they can't split the rent. So college students who are already face unaffordability in their college process.
0: They are by definition low-income people.
1: They are low-income, and uh, it's very helpful if they can split the rent. Um, and it's also helpful to the homeowner who's renting the property out, because, uh, because arithmetically, it's possible for the homeowner to get a higher rent from more tenants, while the tenants still individually each pay a lower rent. And also, then the the homeowner has more money to fix up the house, so it's a, a positive externality for the community. It's a win-win-win, and meanwhile, you really shouldn't be social engineering the interrelationship of the people living in the house. For example, if it's, a, if it's a couple that's married, it qualifies as a family. If it's an unmarried couple, they don't qualify as a family under these laws. So you, you encourage them to have to get married to stay living together and all kinds of other unusual uh, incentives. So for people who
0: are out of, outside of Ohio, who are perhaps enterprising one man bands like yourself when it comes to this kind of litigation what do you what do you want to tell them
1: i want to tell them to go after these sorts of laws particularly if your state constitution protects property rights or has equal protection guarantees that operate higher than the federal baseline, because there is now a great body of law, including the case that we've won, which is a robust decision explaining why these sorts of laws are arbitrary. Uh, you look for cities that are draconian in their enforcement, which is most, and you look at cities also that have grandfathered in the old properties. So if the city passed the law in 1975, they said, well, if you had um, if you had four people in a, a four bedroom home before the law, you can continue to do that. But if you didn't, then you can't. So you have these anomalous situations in these towns where, um, if you're marginally related, you can have 10 people in a two bedroom house, but you can't have four people in a 10 bedroom house right next door. Or if the property was grandfathered in, you can't have, um, four people in a huge house while a grandfathered property, you can, um, slam 10 people into a two bedroom house. So you have these anomalous, um, Results that that clearly treat similarly situated houses and homeowners unequally. And those situations should be rooted out and made uh, made the source for public interest litigation.
0: Maurice Thompson is a constitutional attorney in Ohio with the 1851 Center. We spoke in Colorado Springs late last year. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.